0: going to start with a question today that I want you to consider. Who is leading you through your life? Okay. Who is leading you through your life? What voice or voices are leading you through your life? This is an important question. It's a profound question. It's a question that maybe you've never even entertained before, but I need you to entertain it today. Who is leading you through your life? Is it the platform of your political party? Is it the latest trend on TikTok? Is it the dominant voices in our host culture or the cacophony of voices and influences that are coming out of Hollywood? Is it a character, listen, is it a character assignment somebody spoke over you as a child that you're still living underneath? Who's leading you through your life? Answering this question is important because, well, the answer to this question is going to determine the quality of your life now and forever. It's going to determine whether you have a life of abundance or a life of deficit. And I think we can all say with some certainty what? That we want to have an abundant life. We want to have an abundant life. We all want life, dare I say it, (laughs) to the full life filled with joy, life filled with peace, life filled in a way that is actually enjoyable living, freedom and fulfillment. But to have that type of life, listen, to have that type of life, you've gotta be led by the right voice. Oh, maybe I'll say it again, can you talk to me today? To have that type of life, you've gotta be led by the right voice. You've got to be led by the right voice. And you've got to know where your voices are leading you. And, and, and the challenge for some of us is we are unsure which voices to follow. The dominant voice of the culture promises us success and prosperity and acceptance and notoriety. The voice of our political parties promise us peace and freedom and prosperity. The influences from movie to sport to social media promise us happiness. And so for many of us, we are left unsure. In fact, we're unsure that we're unsure. the reality is we should be sure we should be certain there should be no doubt in your mind who is leading you through life and of course I understand I let poor voices lead me through life even when I knew they weren't leading me toward abundance Now I know a bunch of y'all are church kids y'all grew up in church and so y'all know how to do the church I didn't know how to do the church thing. So when I wanted to be in the streets, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to have to set Jesus aside to do this one. I wasn't trying to hold on to both. I knew that I was not being led toward abundance. But for some reason, the promise on the other side of the other voice that was leading me, even though I knew it was leading me to destruction, still felt more appealing. I understand. I'm not talking from my high horse. I've had to live through it. And though the outcome of following the wrong leader through life or listening to the wrong voice or voices can be relatively benign in the short term, there can also be catastrophic consequences. Now most of us have never had to endure the leading of a truly dangerous person with a powerful voice. But many others in the world, they have, and their lives have been anything but abundant. Take Pol Pot, for example. He died nearly 23 years to the day that the Khmer Rouge army marched into Phnom Penh and began the greatest and most violent and most radical communist revolution in history. On April 17, 1975, They captured the country after a devastating five-year war and then with breathtaking speed, they emptied the cities and they emptied the towns and they forced these weary Cambodians out into the countryside and out into the fields so that they could start at what Pol Pot called year zero as an agrarian dynasty with him as king. Over the ensuing years, until early 1979, They conducted a rule of terror that led to the deaths of more than 1.7 million people, a third of the Cambodian population. In fact, when I was there several years ago, I learned that 90% of the country was under 40 years old because all of the older people had been killed. The Khmer Rouge tore apart Cambodia. They tore apart families. Religion was abolished. Schools were closed. Everyone was ordered to work, even children. Money was outlawed. Markets were shut down. Doctors were killed, as were most other educated people and leaders. In 2007, I went to the killing fields in Cambodia, and I, well, I don't have time or inclination to unpack all of the horrors that I saw there. But suffice it to say, it was one of the most impactful experiences of my lifetime to understand how the world really works outside of the governance of God. In fact, there's a monument there. 5,000 skulls of people who died under the Khmer Rouge regime. Now, why am I telling you this story? Listen to me. Please listen to me carefully. The people who followed Pol Pot thought that they had the leader that they were longing for. They thought they had the leader that they were longing for. They thought that he was saving them from something when in fact his intent was ever only to kill and steal and destroy. Now you think to yourself, well, that's an extreme example. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe until it lands on your own soil in the form of a terrorist attacks or riots at the Capitol building. People following the wrong voices. Attacking the very thing that they say they believe in. Each of these moments, the reason why this is important is because each of these moments is instigated by the same thing. From from being in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people to a full-scale genocide. It is all instigated by the same thing. People being led through life by a person or ideology or voice that leads to varying degrees of destruction and never to abundant life. They're all instigated by the same thing. But not Jesus. I'm gonna go ahead and guess that you knew that I was gonna be heavy on Jesus today. Jesus, you alone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. King Jesus, worthy is Jesus, not Jesus. He is not like other leaders. And he expresses his purpose for coming. His mission statement, if you will, is to provide abundance for the people that he loves. Jesus, and only Jesus, leads us to abundant life. Now, today we're going to be in John chapter 10, but I've got to give you a little bit of background. In John chapter 9, we see this extraordinary miracle. You can go back and read it for yourself. Jesus heals a man born blind from birth by spitting into the ground and making some mud and putting it on his eye. Jesus did that. Jesus is the only one who should be doing that. And the Pharisees, they go to investigate the miracle like it's they business. I saw this real recently, I've been sharing it with everybody, I share it with my children regularly and it's this gentleman on a whiteboard and he draws a circle and he says, this is my business. And then he draws another circle over here and says, this is your business. And see the problem is you over here out of position in my business when you really need to be in your business. And so what I'm going to need you to do is extricate yourself from my business and place yourself over in your business, and then everything will be okay. And furthermore, if you are under 18, there's something called a child's place. And what I'm going to need you to do is stay in a child's place and out of my business and out of their business. And if I was Jesus, that's how I would have dealt with the Pharisees. Luckily, luckily I'm not Jesus. Praise God. And instead of just telling them to stay out of his business, he actually entertains the conversation. You see, they overheard him when he was instructing this man that he had just healed to worship him as God. They overheard the conversation and they inserted themselves. Now... This is after kicking him out of the temple. Again, go and read it for yourself. They came to investigate the miracle, but especially because it happened on the Sabbath, they came in and said, don't you think this man, Jesus, is a sinner? It's one of my favorite statements in the Bible. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. What I do know is I was blind and now I see. Well, they didn't like that. They got upset about that. And so they threw him out of the temple. And so what we pick up in chapter 10 is the continuation of this conversation between Jesus and these religious leaders. Jesus says to them in chapter 10, verse seven, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits. Now again, set it in the context. They just came to get up in his business to investigate his miracle that he did on his time. And so now he's like, well, now I'm in your business. And as the old folks used to say, at least where I'm from in the country, I'm gonna tell you how the cow ate the cabbage. That's right, I'm from that bayou. All who came before me are thieves and bandits. Thieves and, have you ever been called a bandit? Boy, Jesus used to come with that smoke, didn't he? With like underhanded cuts. Like he didn't call people stupid. He'd be like, you're a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. Wow. That is very hurtful, Lord and Savior. Thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to them. (laughs) I am the gate. And whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, some of this is going to be lost on us, right? In verse 7 and 9, Jesus claims to be the gate, the gate for all sheep who want to enter a life of abundance. And some of that immediately on the surface is lost on us because we don't deal in agriculture. We don't have sheep at home. But the people who were listening to this originally, they would have got it right away. And if you have some knowledge of your word, then you know that God's people are referred to as precious and precarious sheep all over the Bible. And what Jesus is saying here is that he is the one through which all must pass if they, like sheep, want to find safety and the delight that accompanies a life of fullness that only God can provide. Jesus is the only entrance into the life. Listen, Jesus is the only entrance into the life that God promises. Jesus is the only entrance into the life that God promises. There is no other gate There is no other passage. And he is the only one that can keep us secure once we are in that life. There is no amount of quiet times you are going to string together that will finally empower you to hold yourself in God's grasp. It is him. It is his keeping power. It is the security that he provides. Now a literal sheep, back in the day, entering a stone enclosure of which the shepherd himself was the door, right? The shepherd is standing at the enclosure as a door. A literal sheep would know that I'm safe and I'm secure as long as he is at that door. And Jesus says, so too are the people who believe in me eternally secure. And as the sheep, the shepherd led his sheep out to pasture during the day and brought them into safety at night, so too does Jesus provide for those who are his. This is what Jesus is saying. It's a mouthful of a sentence. Others, of course, had come along. That's what he said. Others have come along, claiming to be the entrance, claiming to be the source of passage and protection. But Jesus said all of them were thieves and bandits. There's an allusion here to Ezekiel and Isaiah where the prophets are uh, prophesying against the leaders of Israel because they're saying to them, you are only self-interested. You don't actually care about taking care of the people. Jesus is alluding to that. Further, he is alluding to the messianic pretenders who have come along with promises of freedom, but who only led people into war and suffering and slavery. And Jesus says that that the freedom that I win is not going to be achieved by sword and shield, power and might. It's going to be achieved by a death on a cross and a resurrection in power. It's not going to be achieved by force. It's going to be achieved by sacrifice. And it will not lead to suffering and bondage. It will lead to wholeness and freedom. Jesus says too that, don't miss this. This is important in our day. That even if large crowds are taken up with pretenders, even if large crowds are taken up with pretenders, those who are his sheep do not listen to them. Even if, even if large crowds, even if it's hundreds, thousands who are taken up with pretenders and falsity, those who are his know how to determine, how to discern the real from the fake. Do you know how they train people to find counterfeit money? Do you know? Does anybody know? They don't sit them in front of a bunch of counterfeits and say, look at the color on that. Look at the edges on that. Look at George Washington's nose on that one. Well, does that look right to you? No, they don't do that. They don't do that. No, they soak them in the real thing. And they spend so much time soaking in what's real, touching what's real, understanding what's real, handling what's real, that when a counterfeit comes along, they go, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh uh-uh, that's not it. That's not it. And Jesus is saying that that should be the same with us. Oh, if you would just spend a little more time with the real, then you would know the fake when you saw it. You won't follow pretenders if you know my voice. Because those who belong to Jesus, the true shepherd, they do not resonate with voices that contradict his. They do not resonate with voices that only lead to the deficit that he is trying to keep us out of. Learn. Listen, learn to know the voice of Jesus. That is the only way that you're going to learn to discern the voice of a counterfeit. How do we learn the voice of Jesus? Listen, it's going to seem so simple, it's crazy. I want you to pick up your Bible. Just... Actually, no, most of y'all now is <laughs> scrolling through your digital Bible. Pick up your Bible. Pick up your Bible, and you'll learn to hear the voice of Jesus. And then when the counterfeit comes along and says, well, Jesus is no different than any other leader, you're going to say, ah, 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 No, actually, he said, I am these things. And when the counterfeit comes along and says, no, you can hold on to that sexual ethic and also hold on to Jesus. ah, 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 ah. ah. Yeah. Actually, no, 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 this is what Jesus said right here. And when the counterfeit comes along and says, no, you need to put your hope in this political party, you say, ah, 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 ah. No, Jesus said right here, not so with you. Because you are not a citizen of this world. You got to learn the voice of Jesus. And you learn it through his word. You want to know the secret to life? Read your Bible and pray. <laughs> sure for worship, expect it. Spend time soaking in the real thing. Okay, I spent too much time there. Let me press on. Following his statements on being the gate, Jesus makes what is one of his most powerful mission statements. You know it. All the church folks know it. Non-church folk don't feel bad. I am you. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came. Mm. That they may have life, but not just any life, <laughs> but that they may have it abundantly. They may have it abundantly. Now, for many years, and, and, and Mrs. Crowley warned me you know, she wanted people to read my sermons ahead of time, and she said, You're gonna mess up people's theology on Sunday. And I said, Well, that's on brand. So, so just For many years, for many years, I thought he was talking about the devil in this passage. And you did too, because that's what we were taught. That's what we were taught. And for many years, I believed that. And in some sense, listen, in some sense, one can surely see that behind all evil, behind all thievery, behind all treachery, he is certainly there, right? He's the silent partner. He's back in the play. chief co-signer of everything that's wrong in the world. Like, full-time job. You got a full-time hater, and it's not the person you think it is. So certainly we can see him backing all of it, but that's not what Jesus has in view here. He doesn't have him directly in view here. You see, in contrast to the protection and freedom and pasture that comes from entering through Jesus are the stealing, death, and destruction brought on by the thieves. And the thieves in this case, Jesus is saying, the thieves are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day. That's who he's talking about. He ain't talking about the devil. He's talking about men who are back. Now, now listen again, because I don't want to mess your theology all the way up. Jesus said, also said to the Pharisees, what? that you are of your father, the devil. So he here, he just not direct. He's talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the people who went to church every single week and still smelled like the devil. The people who knew all the words to the worship song but still smelled like the devil. Who tithe, listen, you tithe of dill and mint and cumin, but neglect the weight of your things of the law. So they gave their money too, down to their spices, but still smelled like the devil. Jesus is talking about these people who act for their own selfish ends whose choices are determined by what serves them even if it's to the detriment of the sheep. He depicts them as sheep stealers who have no thought for the well-being of the people. In contrast, Jesus serves the sheep by providing a way of life for them. Jesus comes to what? Give, not get. He comes to give, not get. He comes so that people may have life A life in him that is meaningful and purposeful and joyful, listen, and eternal. Now within the metaphorical world, of course, abundant life suggests what? Fat, contented, flourishing sheep, unbothered and not terrorized by marauders. But beyond the narrative world, listen, it means that the life Jesus people enjoy is not to be construed as just more time to fill. It is life at its imagined best, even underneath this broken sun. That's what Jesus is promising, that he is the only means of receiving eternal life, that he is the only source of the knowledge of God, that he is the only fount of spiritual nourishment, that he is the only source of spiritual security. Jesus and Jesus alone In fact this word abundant can I go nerd for a minute This word abundant in the Greek is perisson perisson and I looked up perisson and here's what it means exceedingly very highly beyond measure more here's my favorite superfluous a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what one could expect or anticipate. It reminds me of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's what Jesus is on about. But before we begin to have visions of lavish homes, and expensive cars, and Instagrammable vacations, and more money than we know what to do with. Before we do that, we need to pause and think about what Jesus teaches regarding abundant life. You see, the Bible tells us what? That wealth, prestige, position, power in this world, those are not God's priorities for us. I don't know if nobody told you. Those are not God's priorities for you. They're not. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll never have those things. Hey, if God has given you the gift of stacking bread, stacketh the bread. Just don't put it in Jesus' seat. You want to take great vacations? Ride out. Buy somewhere I can go to. Pastor salary only goes so far. Go do your thing. But let's not put it in Jesus' seat. Yeah, right. It doesn't mean we'll never experience those things. It means that we cannot allow ourselves to experience those things as ultimate. Yeah, yeah, as all-encompassing. As the source of abundant life. How many wealthy people have you seen absolutely go crazy when they have everything in the world that they could want? Superstars. God bless my girl, Britney Spears. I ain't making fun, I'm serious. They broke that girl. And she had everything she could have wanted in the world, but her life was still somehow deficient. No, that's not how God defines abundant life. Abundance is first spiritual abundance. Why? Because neither your wealth nor your poverty is a sure indication of your standing before God. It's spiritual abundance. Abundant life is also practicing the way of Jesus, to quote 2 Peter 3.18, by growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which teaches us what? That abundant life, abundant life is the continual process of learning and practicing and maturing as well as failing and recovering and adjusting and enduring and overcoming. It's not going to be all tied up in a moment. True abundant life consists of an abundance of love and joy and peace and the rest of the fruit of the spirit. Okay, here's your second theological mess up of the day. It is not fruits of the spirit. It is not plural. You know why we like the plural? So that we could say we have some but not others, but that's okay because God's not through with me yet. No, 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 no. No, you can't say I got love, joy, and peace on lock, but I'm still working on kindness. No, either you got the fruit of the spirit or you don't. It is a singular (laughs) fruit. Remove the And remove the S off of revelation too. It's revelation, (laughs) not revelations. All right? I'm just here to be helpful today. Just here to be helpful. Stop putting S's where Jesus did not. It's in abundance. It's an abundance of the fruit of the spirit. It's an eternal interest. Therefore, our interests are not temporal. And despite all of our attempts to the contrary, abundant life is also life in community. (laughs) Oh, we're quiet now. Yeah. Yeah. Because y'all got to get that Western church mentality out of you. You don't get saved and then choose to join a church. Or take. hmm, I like how the worship tastes over there, but I like how the preaching tastes over there, but I like how the small groups taste over there. No, that's not how this works. No, no, no. When you come to faith, you belong to Jesus and you belong to me. I belong to Jesus and I belong to you. Abundant life. Oh, that's okay. You ain't got to talk. That's okay. Go on, take these licks. Abundant life is also life in community. The community of the church is not an adjacent addendum to how you're walking out your faith. It is central to it. It is central to it. And that's what Jesus is saying here, is that he is the mediator of the messianic community. He is the center of the reception of the promised blessing of salvation. He is the one that allows citizenship into the family. The salvation that he brings is personal, but it's not individual. Jesus died for a people. So if you want to have abundant life, guess what? you got to do life with other people. Christian people. Edifying people. People who challenge your faith and build up your soul. Because you are part of a community that is called and guided and provided for by Jesus. Let me say one more thing. Jesus' people are neither in aggregated aggregated assembly of isolated autonomous individuals nor is it a faithless corporation it is a community in which each of us takes up the life of God and form the branches that are attached to the vine that is Jesus Jesus love and leadership he says leads to abundance and abundance defined as he has defined it. And so his invitation to you today is what? Find abundant life. Find abundant life. You're not going to find it anywhere else. I promise you. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You can look. You can look and you can come back and holler at me and be like, yo, uh, looks like you might have been right. And I'm not even going to say, it. I told you so. I'm not going to do that. Because, you know, because I have been more sanctified over these years. I might think it inside, but that's between me and Jesus. You're not going to find abundant life anywhere else. Yes, yes, the world still seeks its humanistic political leaders and saviors. It's Hitler's, it's Stalin's, it's Mao's, it's Pol Pot's. And only when it's too late, only when it's too late, do they learn that these other leaders, these other voices, (coughs) excuse me, blatantly confiscate personal property. They come only to steal. Ruthlessly trample human life underfoot. They come only to kill. And ravage all that is valuable. They come only to destroy. In fact, one commentator put it this way. I love this quote. Jesus is right. It is not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is the myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. Utopia. So how does Jesus secure this abundant life? That's the question you should be asking. Well, he tells us in his second I am statement of this discourse. Not only is he the gate, but he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here, Jesus is contrasting himself with hired hands who have no real attachment to the sheep. Within the metaphorical world, again, the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep means no more than he's prepared to do so. He is prepared to risk his life to fight off a bear or fight off a lion. But by the strong language Jesus uses, he points beyond the metaphorical world and he points to himself. It is not merely that Jesus is willing to risk his life. It is that Jesus has purposefully laid it down. And it is not just that he has purposefully laid it down, but he has purposefully laid it down in accordance with the Father's will and the plan that they had from before time. Far from being accidental, Jesus' death is precisely what qualifies him to be the good shepherd. And by his death, far from exposing his sheep to further ravages, he draws them to himself. The good shepherd doesn't just die to be an example, throwing himself off a cliff while he yells back up, see how much I love you? No. No, the implication here, the implication here is that the sheep are in mortal danger. And if somebody doesn't do something, then all is lost. All is lost. And in their defense, In their defense, the shepherd loses his life, and by his death, they are saved. And that and that alone is what makes Jesus the good shepherd. You see, his sacrifice is peculiarly directed to the redemption of his sheep. Now, what I found so powerful in this passage is not only is it that he lays his life down, but he tells you, I lay my life down for a purpose in order to take it back up again. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Jesus didn't go to the cross with the resurrection as an afterthought. He went to the cross for the express purpose of coming back from death. He went to the cross for the express purpose of showing them that he was more than a man. He went to the cross with the express purpose of being resurrected from death so that he could be seated at the right hand of the Father and pour out the Holy Spirit over his church so that all of us could have life eternal. He laid it down so he could take it up again. He died in order to rise. Yes, in one sense, Jesus' enemies conspired against him and killed him, but what did he tell Pilate? You don't take my life. If I wanted to, you could catch all of these holy hands. (laughs) I'm the same God that used to swallow people in the ground. And if I wanted to, I could call a squad of angels. And we could fix all of this up right here. <laughs> but instead, in accordance with the will of my Father, I've laid down my life in sacrifice so that in taking it up again, I can show you. That I am the leader you have been longing for. I'm the one. You're scared of death, I beat death. You feel bound by sin, I break chains. You've got an assignment over your life that brings you down, I've given you a new name. You don't know which way to go, I'll carve out the path. I, Jesus, I am the leader you have been longing for. And all these other voices, they're only going to continue to lead you into deficit. And so the call for us today is to trust Jesus. Trust him. Trust him as the leader you've been longing for. Trust him as the leader you've been longing for. Trust him. Listen, trust him as your provision and your protection. And then you'll have peace about the things that you have or don't have. Trust him as your passage into security. And then nobody on this earth can ever make you feel insecure again. Trust him as the source of true and lasting abundance. Trust him as the leader. Trust him as the shepherd willing to give up his life in exchange for yours. Trust him. So the question I have for you today is will you let him? Will you trust him? Will you let Jesus lead you? And I'm not, listen, for those of you joining online and in the room, I'm not just talking to people who would say that they're far from God. I'm talking to people who say they saved. But it's other voices that are louder than Jesus. Will you let him lead you today? Will you let him lead you today? Will you let him lead you today? Will you let him lead you you through your life today? Instead of trying to lead him through your life. Will you let him lead you today? Because this is the leader you've been longing for. And whether you are rededicating your life for the hundredth time, praise God, or giving it to God for the first time, the question is the same. Who is going to lead you? My hope is that it will be Jesus. That it will be Jesus that you would follow His love and His leadership. Follow His love and leadership in every arena of your life. Listen, in every arena of your life, in your marriage and in your friendships and in your dating and in your career and in your parenting and in your neighboring and in your voting and in your posting and in your worship and in this community and in your living and in your loving that you would follow His love and leadership rather than whatever impulse you have inside or whatever voice is telling you to do otherwise from the outside. Follow him. Here's the promise that if you do, you will have abundant life. You will have assurance of eternal life. You will know how to discern and ignore the voices that don't lead to abundance. And if you don't, Sorrowfully, you'll continue life in a deficit. I don't want that for you. Jesus doesn't want that for you. Now I get it. Today just might not be your day to make that decision, and I respect that. I honor that. I understand it. I've been in that seat where where I, I, I wanted to take the next step, but but something inside of me still wanted to hold on to control of my life. I understand. But here's what I would challenge you to do then. If you're not going to follow the love and leadership of Jesus today, here's what I would challenge you to do. Actually assess and discern the voices that are leading you and determine determine if they are leading you to deficit or if they're leading you to some form of what you feel is abundant. But if you're gonna be led by a voice that's not Jesus, you may as well know which voice it is and where it's leading. And then circle back and see, truly see that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Today, I don't know if I can be any more clear. If we wanna be a beloved community that breaks down the disparities and discriminations the challenges and ills and difficulties that affect our society, if we want to be a community where people who are far from God come in to the knowledge and love of Christ, it starts right here with following the love and leadership of the Savior of the world. And my hope for you today is you will make no other choice.